Good morning and God bless you, church. I call you church because even though you're not here physically in the building, we're still church. We're still connected. We're still family. We're still brothers and sisters in Christ. What a wonderful way to begin the day today. Just singing out to the Lord about his faithfulness. How incredibly faithful is our God. Even when we're not, even when we make mistakes, even when we slip up or trip, he is forever faithful. And so we're going to be just continue in that same line of, of just thought as we continue our studies and our messages in the book of Philippians. But before I do that, I, I really want to just express, um, we did write something in our Facebook page, but as you know, this week we lost a general in the faith and we have lost our Ravi Zachariah. You know, we, we didn't lose him like we're never going to see him again. He's just lost to us from being among us. But he is in the arms of our Lord and our Savior. And uh, Ravi didn't know me. I didn't know him personally. But he was a great teacher to us. Because we listened to his teachings and how prepared he was. His assignment, I think, was complete. Because his assignment was to speak to the skeptic. And he spoke to those university students who didn't believe or had questions and tough questions. I think the most favorite uh, sessions that I ever listened to of Ravi was when he did those Q and A's in the universities and he would speak so eloquently, you know, so prepared for that aspect of his life. And as I was listening to, to some of his words, the, one of the last um, conferences he spoke at, was the Passion Conference. It had about 40,000 students that were there listening to his words. And one of the things he spoke about was how for 240 days of the year, he traveled the globe speaking to people about the gospel of salvation. This is how committed he was. 240 years of travel. Just think how difficult it is when you're going to take a five-day you know, trip for vacation and you're worrying about, you know, did I bring the right things? Is my luggage too heavy? You know, where am I going to go? Is it going to be good weather? We worry about all those things. And for 240 days of the year, he traveled the globe regardless of what the conditions were where he was going. One of the, the greatest things that I, I really was drawn to with him was how he can speak to one person, one individual and just speak to their need as well as 40,000 students and speak to their need. And one of the stories that I remember so clearly is once he was uh, speaking at a, a speaking engagement and seated near him or right before him was an Iman with his bodyguards. And he remembers that as he was leaving the building, he saw the Iman and the bodyguards approaching him. And for one minute, you know, he had this, um, this moment of fear where he's like, oh my goodness, you know, everything I spoke about and everything I talked about is coming back. And what happened was the Iman wanted to speak with him privately 
they went into a room. They sat there for hours and he shared Jesus because the imam wanted to know about Jesus. And he left that room making a commitment to Jesus. See, those are the kind of things that you don't hear about a lot. You know, there's not a lot of fanfare about. It's, it's all done in the quiet and the private, you know, moments of people's lives that are changed and transformed by the power of the gospel and the power of individuals that are committed to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Going out and creating disciples. That's what it's all about. And so we pray blessings on his family. We pray the comfort that only comes through the Holy Spirit. And we pray that they be blessed in his ministry that he put together and set up and that it continue to flourish as it continues to take the word out to the, the most difficult populations that you can share gospel with. And so we pray blessings about, upon them. Today, I'm going to be preaching out of uh, the book of Philippians, chapter 3. And um, if you've been following us through the weeks, on Wednesdays, we've been teaching out of the book of Philippians and preaching out of the book of Philippians. And so I'm going to go to uh, chapter 3. Um, next Wednesday, we're going to just continue and finish chapter 2 um, in our Bible study. But I'm just going to read, let's read the word. Let, let's hear what the word has to say. And I'm going to be reading out of the EVS um, version. No, the ESV version. <laughs> I have so many versions that, that fly through my head, right? We're going to be reading out of the ESV. And um, we start reading in verse 1. And we read in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we say, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who, who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I have, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. <clears throat> Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power 
of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining, and straining, straining, look at that word, straining, and in some of your versions it says pressing forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. May God bless his word in our lives. Praise the Lord. What a wonderful word. What a wonderful expression of Paul. And the title of this week's message, last week was taking the form of Christ. And, and this week it's taking the standard of Christ. Taking the standard of Christ. And, you know, I always like to give you a definition. And so standard, what is the definition of standard? Having recognized and permanent value. Having recognized and what? Permanent value. So in this chapter, in this book, we find Paul bound or chained to a Roman soldier in Rome, in prison. And he speaks these words, rejoice in the Lord. I could just see him. Rejoice in the Lord. And, and I think about the Roman soldier and how he has no choice but to hear what Paul is speaking. You know, he has no choice but to hear what Paul is dictating <laughs> to the scribes that he would have. They just heard it all. And I truly believe as, as they heard Paul expressing these truths of God, they themselves came to know the God that we serve. See, the power is in the word. And so we're going we're gonna to just look at some main topics that Paul discusses because in this book, he doesn't stick to one topic. In this book, he you know, taps into a number of different things, a number of different subjects that he wants to remind the church about. And so he starts right at the beginning with, you know, let's, let's just rejoice in the Lord because he understands that the Lord is above our circumstances. Now I want you to remember that the Lord is above your circumstances. And so in the very first verses, he tells them, look out, watch out, look out for these dogs. And I, and I think that the use of that word is interesting because as you read the scripture and you read the gospel, you see that the word dogs was referred, you know, when they spoke of the Gentiles, they referred to them as dogs. And so here, Paul is, he's 
flipping it, you know? He's flipping it and he's saying, you know, watch out for those dogs. Those are evildoers who are out to mutilate the flesh. Now, there's a segment here in this chapter where he talks about circumcision. And so when he's talking about those that mutilate the flesh, he's talking about zealots and he's talking about legalists that, you know, want you to commit to the letter of the law, but they can't see past the letter of the law that Jesus has been the fulfillment of the law and that Jesus has come to give us life and give it even more abundantly. They don't, they don't want to see that. So he refers to them as dogs. And we've seen this expression when we looked at, at the book of Matthew chapter uh, 15. Matthew chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. Where there's this woman who's coming. She's looking for healing for her daughter. And Jesus says, you know, am I going to take the bread of the children? And give it to the dogs. Because she was a Gentile woman. And she got, she got some revelation. She got some boldness here. And she says. Yes Lord. We spoke about Lord last week. That word Lord. It carries such authority. And it carries power. And she says. Yes Lord. She acknowledged that. Acknowledged him. She says. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs from the table that fall from the table of the master. See, and Jesus could do nothing else, but he had to answer her petition because he saw her faith displayed. And so this is not the kind of situation that Paul is referring to. Paul is referring to those that come to mutilate the flesh. And so when you look at the word um, in the Greek, it's, it's the word concisions. Now, we, we look at the word and we say circumcision. The Greeks call it concision. Now, concision means a mutilator. A mutilator. And so he's saying, beware of the mutilators who don't worship the Spirit of God. But we are circumcised in our hearts See, it's not only just being sympathetic to the word of God, being sympathetic to the gospel. And you say, wow, that sounds nice. That sounds wonderful. That sounds like something I would like to be a part of someday. But our hearts are uncircumcised. So the roots of the sin in our lives, the roots of the things that separate us from God, they're deep seated in our hearts. And so Paul emphasizes, and, and, and Jesus as well, be circumcised of your heart. Let those things be cut out of your heart that separate you from God. That as much as you want to serve him and please him, you can't do it because your hearts are uncircumcised. Your hearts continue to carry the deep rooted parts of your flesh that just want to do what you want to do when you do it, however you feel like doing it. And, you know, God will just have to adjust himself to the way that I want to live my life. And that's never going to happen. Let me just repeat that for you. If you missed it, that is never going to happen. Our God, if nothing else, 
is consistent in his ways. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he expects that all of those that are followers of him, all of those who are called children of God, right? Allow themselves to be transformed and changed by the power of a living God. That's simple. He's not going to change for us. Could you imagine if every single person said, God, I want you to change for me and the way that I, and how many, how many different aspects of God will we have? But he's one God in three expressions, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all operating as one, right? And when he deals with us, his children, you want to know what justice is? It only comes from God. You want to know what truth is? It only comes from God. Because he is, he doesn't only speak truth, he is truth. And so if you want to know what's true, you go straight to the source. And that's God. And so he says, beware of all of these who will try to divert you. Will try to change what God is doing in you. He says, beware of them. And he goes on to say, listen, if, if, if anybody had to have some kind of pride in who they were, it would have been me. It would have been me. And he goes on and he gives all the points. This is like his resume, his resume on his life, you know, and he, he speaks to it and he says, listen, I've been circumcised on the eighth day. So not only am I circumcised of my heart, but I've been circumcised in the flesh. I'm from the people of Israel. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrew. Listen, if there's a Hebrew that knew the law, it was Paul. If there was a Hebrew that followed the law, it was Paul. If it was, there was a Hebrew who could teach and tell other people what the law was, it was Paul. And so he says, listen, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee. This is who I was. This is my life resume. A zealot, a prosecutor, or a persecutor, actually, a persecutor. But yet, through all of this, I'm found blameless because of Christ. Oh, brothers, found blameless. Through all of this expression of Paul, he's emphasizing that our physical experiences, you know, all those wonderful things that we experience, all those achievements that we get, you know, all those diplomas and certificates. And he says, all of those physical experiences have no value unless there is a corresponding spiritual experience. See, you can't take any physical achievements with you when you leave this earth. You, you can't. You can't carry your diplomas with you. You can't take your certificates. You can't take your awards. You can't take your trophies. I hate to tell you, you can't take any of that. The only thing that you take with you when you leave this earth is your spiritual experiences. And if you have no spiritual experiences, then you have nothing to take with you. So our goal should be to experience God in every level. So he says that. He says, there's no value 
to physical experiences unless you have a corresponding spiritual experience. Physical accounts for nothing, for it is your heart that is really going to say who you are. It's your heart what motivates you, what makes you do or not do. It's all rooted in your heart. In John chapter 4, verse 24, and I love this verse, and for a long time it was a verse we focused in in our church. It says that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Right? So if God is spirit, he wants you to take with you some spiritual experiences. Don't be happy with just saying, you know, if anybody asks you, can you check this box? Are you a Christian? And you say, yeah, I'm a Christian. It's, it's not enough for you to check the box. You have to carry that through with spiritual experiences. What have you learned from the Lord? What have you shared with others of what God has done for you? Where have you taken your faith with you? Where into what arenas, into what places? Where have you taken your spiritual experiences? If you cannot think of one time, there's still time for you to have spiritual experiences. We rejoice, Paul says, in the liberty that we have in Jesus. The confidence is not in your flesh. Our confidence is not in our flesh. Because today we want something and tomorrow we don't. Today we found something, you know, abhorrent and tomorrow we are embracing it. All those things that we said were not good, all of a sudden we're embracing. And all those things that we know are good, we've pushed to the side. So you see, it's not, it's not a flesh thing, it's a spirit thing. Because in Romans chapter 7 verse 18... Romans 7.18 says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Now we spoke about this maybe in one of the Wednesday teachings when we spoke about how God gives us the will And he gives us the ability to do. That comes from God. So if we want to be able to do good things, then we need God. Because in this flesh, nothing good dwells in it. Nothing good. And whenever you have the opportunity to do something that's not good, you're going to do it. If you think you're going to be able to get away with something, you do it. Everything that's going on now with this coronavirus, it amazed me when I was hearing how the cyber crimes have increased. Well, people can't get out of their homes now, so now they stay home and they get on the computer and they do all kinds of unlawful acts. See, whenever you have the opportunity, you're going to do it. But when Christ lives in our, in our lives and he lives in our heart and he circumcised our heart, you know what? We're not drawn to do what is evil. We're drawn to do what is good. 
If anyone had something to boast of in the flesh, it would be Paul. He would have many accomplishments to boast about. If we could be saved by our own efforts or just by keeping the law, then that would have been him as well because he knew the law. But we are not saved by the law. The law, what it did was point out our sin and tell us this is sin, this is sin, this is going to separate you from God. But we needed Jesus to take us the rest of the way, which was, you know what? You recognize your sin and this is how you can get forgiveness for your sins and it comes through grace. Yeah. That's why we need Jesus in our lives. If we could do it on our own, we would have done it a long time ago, but we have not been able to do it on our, on our own. We're not able to save ourselves, let alone are we going to be able to save someone else. We can't do it. And all the self-help books in the world will not help you to be the totally fulfilled person that you think you want to be. Because total fulfillment and total joy comes through the Lord. Not happiness. Happiness is circumstantial based on what's going on in your life. Joy is with you whether you're up, whether you're down, where you're going through trials and tribulations or whether you're having a nice peaceful run. Joy is with you. Not any joy. The joy of the Lord is with you regardless of the situation and the circumstances. Jesus said it himself in Matthew chapter 5. That unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to read that again because I want you to catch it. He said, Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So in our own, we don't have the righteousness that's going to get us into heaven. Righteousness is us being able to be in right standing before the Lord. And you can accomplish that on your own. Paul says, listen, everything that I've gained, I've counted as a loss. Anything that I've gained in this world, by human effort, I count as a loss. And we're talking about Paul, the man who was headed to Damascus to persecute the Christians. In his hand, he carried letters from the high priest, giving him the authority to grab them, jail them, and carry them through trial. But about noontime, a light that was brighter than the noonday sun came to him and spoke to him. And he acknowledged immediately when he said, Lord, he acknowledged and it changed and transformed his life. You need a noontime experience. You need a noontime spiritual experience that is going to change and transform your life. When Paul wrote to the Philippines, I'm sorry, the Philippians, well, the Philippines are also enjoying the word. 
<laughs> he wrote to the Philippians about 30 years after his experience on that road to Damascus. Wow. 30 years later, and he still counted all of those accomplishments as a loss. Those things that you count as a loss, don't pick them back up. This is where the problem falls for some of you. That you know that there are things in your lives that should be counted as a loss, but we keep going back and picking it up. See, remember that your past experience is only valid if it has been transferred into your present experience. I'm going to repeat that again because that's important. Your past experience is only valid if it has been transferred into your present relationship. If it hasn't, then it has no value. No, no, no value. The experience that you had is invalidating. Because what you want to really do is have experiences from the past that can be transferred over into what's going on in your life in the present. So if God did something great and fantastic in your life, in your past, that you're able to bring it into your present life and be able to demonstrate that you've built on that. You've built on it. Don't be a Christian who has been a Christian for a year and keeps repeating the same year for 20 years. Don't do that. Look at your past experiences and can they be transferred over into your present? And can you be able to share with people and say, like Paul did, listen, I was on a road and I was going in a bad direction and I was going to do some bad things to some people that never did anything to me. And yet here I am 30 years later telling you that I have built on those experiences. See, can you say that? Can you say that you've built on your spiritual experiences? That's a question to ask yourselves. On verse, uh, let me see, let me get right to that verse where it speaks about, um, in verses, uh, I'm looking for that one particular verse, verse 7 through 9. In verses 7 through 9, Paul speaks about the excellency of the knowledge of God. The excellency. And he says, you know what, there are people who have died without hearing about the excellency of God. There are people who are unable to gather, and it has nothing to do with coronavirus. Before coronavirus, there have been many, many people throughout this world who are not allowed to gather together. Our president says that being able to gather together is essential. And I, I, I'm like a thousand percent in agreement with him. We need to gather together in one heart and one mind and one spirit. This country needs the church to be functional. And I think that the enemy has done everything that he could to try to separate us and keep us apart. But thanks be to the Lord that what he intended, the enemy intended for evil with all this social media turned back around and is being used 
to share the gospel of salvation to all the corners of the world. What he intended for evil, God turned it around and he made it good. So there are people who have never had the opportunity to hear about the excellency of the knowledge of God. People who have been unable to read or study the word. See? But there is a price that we pay for the excellency of that knowledge of God. For knowing who God is for living with him, for experiencing him, for experiencing the Holy Spirit, for experiencing these spiritual experiences, there is a cost to it. And there may be a cost to it where your family members may disavow you or not want to have anything to do with you because now you're a follower of Christ. Your friends may want nothing to do with you. Don't you think that Paul lost some of these things that we're talking about? Do you not think that Paul, having been part of a a large community where he was well-respected, you don't think he lost family? You don't think he lost friends? You don't think he lost community? But thank you, Lord, for the community of faith. Thank you, Lord, because one loss brought one gain. And so when we look at this, we say, wow, even, even your community will turn on you. I've never seen so much discussion. Like this morning, as I was getting ready, I was listening to the news and it said that uh, the media was in a frenzy because of the declaration of our president that churches were essential. Now, you know that when they talk about churches, they're talking about not only Christian churches, but they're talking about synagogues and they're talking about mosques. But that's not the issue that the world has. The world doesn't have an issue with the synagogues opening. They don't have an issue with the mosque opening. They have an issue with Christian churches. There's an issue with Christianity. And so any opportunity that they have, anything that they hear, it automatically turns this world on its head. It gets upset when it thinks about Christians, followers of Christ. Jesus said it. Listen, I didn't come to bring the peace you're thinking. I've come and you know what? What's going to happen is going to be son against son and, you know, family member against family member and, and man against man. It, because the issue is Jesus. At the heart of the issue in all of this is Jesus. Our enemy, Satan, does not want us to bring forth the name, the life the works, the redemption, the salvation of Jesus in our lives. And so it becomes an issue. So the frenzy that's in the news, it's all about the fact that churches, Christian churches, are being said to be essential. Now think about that. When when they declared the liquor stores essential, nobody said anything. And I don't even think I'm using proper English there. No one said anything. There was no media frenzy. When the abortion clinics were stated as being essential, I didn't hear anybody complaining about that. 
but you can't get a dental appointment. Just think about that. Think about it. Thank you, Pastor Jay. It's an antichrist spirit. An antichrist spirit. Brothers, sisters, friends, we are living. I can't say this enough and I'll repeat it until I die. We are living in the end times of the end days. We are experiencing so much that has been written in the word of God. We're living it. And you need to wake up, church. Shake yourself up. These comments are not friendly comments. These decisions that are made are not friendly decisions. But thank God for our president. We should be praying for him and his administration. You don't have to like him. God uses anybody. I told you before, he's used a mule and he's used a donkey. But what is it that he's willing to say and speak that no one else is willing to say on our behalf? That's just a thought. You know, everything that Paul speaks about here is about being a biblical Christian. It's about biblical Christianity. That's the one thing we don't have. We, well, wait a minute. You know, I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ, but I'm a follower of Christ in my own way. He didn't ask to have any followers in their own way. He asked for followers that were willing to follow him. That's what he was asking for. Followers that were willing to follow him. In verses 10 and 11, it speaks about two major topics here. It speaks about the power of resurrection and the sharing of his suffering. Oh my, my, my. The power of resurrection. Everyone is willing to obtain the power of resurrection. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? I want to operate in that power of the resurrection. But the fellowship of his suffering? Not too many people say, I'll do it. I'll be part of that fellowship of the suffering. Because our flesh is always rebelling against suffering. Who wants to suffer? You go to get an injection and your body jerks. You ever notice that? You go, you go to get a blood test and you jerk. <laughs> A doctor touches you and you We rebel against anything that's going to be suffering. Because who wants to suffer? No one does. The disciples of the gospel, if you read the gospel, those disciples we find there found it difficult to hear about the suffering awaiting Jesus. They felt uncomfortable with it. In Matthew, in, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus begins to tell the disciples that he would go to Jerusalem. He would suffer many things. He would be put to death. And in three days, he would resurrect. Right? They heard everything except resurrect. They didn't remember resurrect until after Jesus resurrected. So they didn't want to hear about suffering. They found it difficult. And at one point, you know, Peter said, no, Lord, we're not going to let that happen to you. And what did Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. 
because all of these things needed to be fulfilled. And Peter was like, no, we're not going to let that happen. We're not. We're not. And how many times would we like to tell our loved ones and, and people that we care about, listen, no, no, I'm going to do everything in my pos- it, it, I could possibly do so you don't suffer. I don't want you to suffer. But we're learning that suffering is a part of life. Now we see that disciples in the book of Acts, they're very different disciples. Those that didn't want to hear about suffering in the, in the gospel, now they're in the book of Acts. And these are the disciples that are preaching and teaching the word of God and teaching about Jesus. And you know what? They're not afraid. They're beaten. They're flogged. They're in prison. And every time you read the gospel after it, it says, and they rejoiced. And they were in joy. Wow. They definitely got a different concept of what it was to suffer for Christ. I know that you remember the story of the 23 missionaries who had been taken, kidnapped and taken by the Taliban. That happened quite a few years ago. 23 Korean missionaries that had gone to, you know, share the gospel and they were taken and everything that they had was taken from them. For about three days, they were kept together. And um, somehow, one of the women in the group still had her Bible. They took everything, but somehow she was able to keep that Bible with her. And in the last day that they had together, because after that, they were separated into groups of threes. She took that Bible and she started tearing the pages out of it. And she separated her Bible into 23 parts. And every one of those missionaries got a portion of the Bible. Now, you know, the first thing in my mind, the first thing I thought about was, wow, I wonder who got stuck with Leviticus. That, that's what I thought. <laughs> I said, oh, they were going to be reading with all these laws. And then I said, wait, wait, wait. Even in the book of Leviticus, Jesus is all through the book of Leviticus. Jesus is through all the pages of all the laws that Jesus, you know, that, that God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had given to the people of Israel. Jesus is interwoven in each one of those pages. And so she divided the Bible into 23 sections. Everyone got a section. And as they sat there together, encouraging each other, they prayed to God and said, oh God, just make us ready. Prepare us. We're willing to give our lives for you. And so in the group, there was a pastor and the pastor said, well, As the pastor in this group, I am going to tell them that they're going to have to kill me first. And so there was, happened to be another pastor that was in the group. And he said, no, wait a minute. I'm I'm a little older than you. I have seniority. If anybody's going to go first, it's going to be me. And the pastor said, nope, not you. I'm the ordained pastor here. I'm the one that's going to be the first to go. And so they were (laughs) prepared and anxiously waiting. I know it just blows your mind. 
See, I was, I was listening to Francis Chan and he was sharing this experience because he had the opportunity to sit in Korea with one of the 23 that was still alive, that did not get killed in this. And so he got this straight from one of the 23. And so the man shared with him that they were ready. And when they went into the, their little groups of three, they were ready at any moment. And of course, you know, history tells us and the news tells us that the pastor was the first to go. And there was a second gentleman that went, he was maybe about 29. And they were all ready. They were all ready. But then they were released. And they were released for about a year and a half. They, they spent time in Seoul, Korea. And when they came together, those who still were alive, when they came together, they said how much they longed for that time when they were held prisoners waiting to die for Christ. You're like, what? You know, when, when you hear that, your first inclination is, what? There was a fellowship that they had with Jesus inside that prison, inside those, those walls. There was a fellowship they had with Christ that they longed to experience again. See, last week I talked to you about this. I said, how is it that Jesus is in every moment of our lives? Not in, you know, one time here, one time. In every moment of our life, Jesus is there. And so they were experiencing Jesus in every moment of their life. And so they wanted to feel that connection that deeply again. Because I'm sure that as you're in prison, waiting to find out if you're the next to die, every single thought that you have every single day is about God. Every thought. When we come out into this world, we are so bombarded with so many things that are interfering with our opportunity to have quiet time with God. And so the moments that we have of that intimacy with God are spaced out and they're far removed because our lives are so full of so much stuff. Full of so many unnecessary things. First Peter chapter five. Verses 8 through 10. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10 says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. This is saying that you have the power to do this. Resist him. Firm in your faith. See, this is what gives you the power to resist. Your faith but that you're firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself. He's not going to send somebody else. It says he will himself restore, confirm, Strengthen and establish you. So what you're suffering, the situations that you're going through right now, someone on the other side of the world is experiencing the same exact thing that you are. Pastor Jay 
He spoke words of encouragement earlier. I encourage you. We should be encouraging one another. That the sufferings that we have in this moment and in this time, they are temporary. And use them as an opportunity to have spiritual experiences with God. That in the midst of that suffering and that pain, when everything else is shut out, because all you can focus on is the pain of that moment, whether it's sickness, whether it's a relationship, whether it's, it's concern over your children, shut it all out and have spiritual experiences with God. And it says that he himself will restore you. He himself will restore the situation. He will confirm your position. He will strengthen and establish you. When we're going through suffering, there will be any number of people willing to point out and say, where is your God? Where is the God that you serve? And we can now say with all confidence that he is in the moment of my life. He's right here in this moment with me. In every moment. Paul said, I want to know him completely. Desire to know God completely. You cannot know the power of resurrection without the cross. No cross, no resurrection. If you want the power of resurrection, you have to see that cross. And you have to be willing to die to yourself. Now, I'm not telling you go nail yourself up on a cross. I'm telling you die to yourself. To your old nature. The old way of you doing things. The old way of you thinking. The old way of you acting. You got to die to the old you. Remember what I told you. You can't take those experiences from the past and bring them over if they do not have a spiritual experience connected to it. Okay? Paul said, listen, I am crucified with Christ. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, listen, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. This is what my life is about. It's about the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow, that's deep. In verses 12 through 16, he talks about pressing forward. He talks about forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for what lies ahead. And I began to, to think about the word image. This world is so concerned about image. How we project ourselves. How do we look? How do we speak? Who surrounds us? We're so concerned about our image. We want to be able to say, look, look what I have attained. We want to be able to say, look, look what I have achieved. And we have to self-promote ourselves. 
Come, come sit at my feet. Let me tell you who I am and what I'm about and what I've achieved. When did we lose sight of him? When did it become about you? You should be drawing people to Jesus, not to you. Draw them to Jesus. You do not want people to see you. <laughs> you do not want people to see you with all of your shortcomings, with all of your deficits, with all of the ugliness that we carry. You don't want people to see you. You want people to see Jesus. We must be about our father's business. Anything that I do for myself is a waste of time and effort. I am stalling God's plan for me when I am constantly just circling my life. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about how I look. It's all about what I say. No, it's not. Paul said, I have not yet apprehended what I was apprehended for. God apprehended him. God apprehended me. He apprehended you for a, a purpose and a reason. He apprehended us. What for? Why did he apprehend us? So that we could obtain what he wants us to experience. God wants us to experience him. God wants us to know him. God wants us to have every day a greater understanding and appreciation of him. God wants us to have relationship. The only God on this world, throughout the world, there's so many false gods, but this is the only God that's relational. The only God that came and lived and died and resurrected for you. The only one. Tell me of another one who's done it. And on top of that, he's coming back for us to take us so that we may be where he is. Wow. That's interesting. Now, if you're serving a God only because you, you're thinking that at the end of your life, you're going to have 75 versions assigned to you for all of eternity, you miss the boat. You miss what eternity is all about. Eternity has never been about you. And eternity has never been about me. Eternity is about being with Jesus. With our God. With dwelling in his presence. With worshiping him endlessly. With being in the midst of of others like us from all nationalities, all tongues, all coming together to worship him. You missed the boat if you're waiting for anything else. We find ourselves like this little, you know, hamster. You know, they're on their little wheel, their little exercise wheel, and they keep going round and round and round and round and round and round, and they don't realize it. They just keep going round and round and round. Unless you take them off that wheel, they'll stay on that wheel till they drop dead on this wheel. And so in our past, we have bad experiences. I can't think of anybody that says they didn't have one bad experience in their past. But we continue to just repeat them. I cannot forget what I, you know, 
what was done to me. I can't forget that. I know that they told me they were sorry, but I just can't forget it. I cannot forgive what was done to me. We continue to be in danger of living in the past and that cuts off our future. You get discouraged. You don't want to move ahead. There's comfort that you find in continuing to repeat the same old past history. God is a God of newness. Every morning, his blessings are new. Every single morning, the scripture tells us his blessings are new. Why would you want to continue living the same old stale past? Paul says, no. You know what? Paul could, Paul could stand there and he could say, he could think about all the things he did wrong to so many Christians. You know, he could stand there and he could think about Stephen and how, you know, he called upon the death of Stephen. And then he stood there and received his clothing. Wow. That's huge. That he could, he could sit there. He could think of all these things, but he says, you know what? I have been cleansed. I have been forgiven. I have moved forward and I can't dwell in those past things. Yes, they happened, but you know what? Now I'm reaching. I'm reaching for something better. I'm reaching for something greater. We could look at bad experiences or we look back at the glories of the victories that we've had. Oh, yes. We look at what we've achieved in the past and we say, I did that. I'm going to rest on these accomplishments. Listen, their value is in who they were and who they want to be. That's where you put your value on the things you've accomplished in the past. For me, the best accomplishments are what you do in secret. And God himself put you, puts you out there. God does it. You don't have to be calling attention to what you've done. You don't have to be calling attention to who you're connecting with. You don't have to be calling attention to any of that. God himself will put you in the position that you need to be. But while you continue to call attention on yourself and the things that you've done, that you've done and you keep patting yourself on the back and look at me and look at me. Wow. Wow. You've put the focus on you and you've taken it off Jesus. You have to reevaluate that. There's definitely a spirit of pride there and there's definitely a spirit of, you know what, self-righteousness. It's all about me. None of it is about you. Rejoice, Paul says, in what God wants to do. Don't sit back and rest on the past, but press. You know, and the, and the Greek word for press is ag agonizo. Agonizo. That means you're going to do it till it hurts. Work through the pain. Agonizo. That must be where we get the word, you know, agonize. Press to the mark. Let this be your mind. Forgetting and pressing. 
There are a lot of people that talk about Jesus Christ, but they're enemies of the cross. You, you, you can't, I got to say that again. There are people who talk about Jesus Christ, but are enemies of the cross. They still want to live after the flesh. They don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about suffering. I don't want to hear about the cross. I, you know, we should be prospering. I totally believe that we prosper in all things in the Lord as he gives us. My focus is not that I serve God so he could prosper me and make me rich or make me famous or put me out there. No. We should be commanding God and telling him, I want this and I want it now. He's given us authority. Let's command God to do what we want him to do. Indulge your flesh. It's okay to sin and ask for forgiveness. That's what I call premeditated sin. That you're already planning the sin that you're going to do, knowing that God is a gracious God and he's going to forgive you of whatever you do. If you only had enough faith, you could be flying your own jet. I like that. If you only had enough faith, you could be flying your own jet. There's people that are struggling just to get on a bus. And you honestly think that I'm going to pray so that God could give me a jet. These are people who are opposed to sacrifice and self-denial. But last week, we said that the greatest characteristics of Jesus' life were what? His humility, his obedience, and his self-renunciation, which means self what? Discipline, denial, surrender. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Don't be like the young rich man from Mark chapter 10. The young rich man from Mark chapter 10 was so taken with everything that Jesus said. He's following Jesus with the crowd. And, and, you know, finally he goes to Jesus and says, what can I do to get eternal life? And Jesus, you know, go read the chapter. He goes on and mentions the commandments. He says, you know, you have to do these things. And he said, well, I do all of those. And then Jesus spoke to the heart of his situation. And Jesus says, oh, you know what? Take everything you have, everything you possess, and give it to the poor. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The scripture tells us that he walked away very sad because he had a lot of possessions. Things. They're things. And there are greater things that God wants us to have. You know, Pastor Jane and I, we were talking the other day and we were talking about, gosh, is, is there something wrong with us? We seem to be so different from a lot of people. Is something wrong with us? You know, and then I'm, like I told you, I was listening to Francis Chan and I heard him talking. Uh, he said it publicly, so I guess I could say it here. He was sharing how the series Crazy Love made a million dollars 
And then he looked at his wife and he told her, well, what are we going to do with this million dollars? You know, we're going to buy a lot of things that uh, later on we're going to regret. You know, what are we going to do with this? And, and they decided. And I believe it was revelation from God. And they decided that they were going to take that money, they were going to put it into a trust, and they were going to use it throughout the world to help people in need. And you know, people took exception of that. People got upset with him because of that decision. They said, you know, you should have put some of that money aside for an emergency. And he said, for an emergency? What, what do you think is happening around the world? What do you think is happening in Thailand? What do you think is happening in India? What do you think is happening in all these places? These are all emergencies. And what was I going to do with this money? Just please myself and please my flesh? There's something greater than that. And he looked at his wife and he told her, I, I thought it was just great. Is there something wrong with us? <laughs> Is there, that we seem to be so different than other people. And then I said, thank you, Lord. I kind of needed to hear that. It came out of nowhere. Thank you, Lord. I needed, There's nothing wrong with us. We're trying to be biblical Christians. See? And so being biblical Christians, there's going to be people opposed to you following Jesus the way he's telling us to follow him. He's not hiding anything. He's not lying to us. He's telling us exactly how we should walk, how we should live, how we should talk, how we should share. He's telling us all of these things in his word. There's nothing wrong with us wanting to be biblical Christians. And so I was like, thank you, God. I needed to hear that because this week we were just having that conversation. Thank you, Lord. And so we will do what Paul said and he's taught us. We're going to press on. We're pressing on all the things that we've achieved in our past. You know what? They are worthless. They're garbage. As a matter of fact, he said they're poop. And for you, if you need a more modern word, he said it's crap. It's, it's, it's a loss. It's nothing. For what I have attained with the excellence of the knowledge of God. That's what I'm striving for. That's my goal. That's where I want to get to. And so that's what we do. We're pressing forward. Like Paul said, I haven't, I'm telling you, I haven't attained it yet because I'm still working this. I haven't attained it, but I'm pressing forward. I'm pressing forward. And I'm pressing forward because I want to be that standard of Christ. I want to be a follower of Christ the way he wants me to be, the way he wants me to walk. And so today, this is your day. This is your moment. This is your opportunity. If you haven't been living for Christ, if you've wanted to serve him the way you want to serve him and not the way that he's telling you to serve him, this is your day to make a change in your life. This is your day to finally be circumcised from your heart. And those roots that you have in your heart that have kept you from God, this is your day that you are going to be circumcised. If you choose to be. This is your day to have spiritual experiences with the Lord. That you can look back to this day and say, wow, Lord, I've built on that experience and I keep building and building and building on you, the knowledge of you, the experience of having you in my life, relationship, 
I've built on that relationship with you. This is your day. Right there on your devices. Just lift up a little hand. If you know how to do that, lift a little hand. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray that all these things that Paul desired from this church, that they would come upon you. Right? Let us pray. Father, we're just so thankful. We are so grateful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your care. Thank you for your patience with us. You continue to love us in spite of ourselves. You were willing to die for this mess that I was, Lord, to make me new, to transform me so that I can look like you, that I can talk like you, I can walk like you. You said that we can do it so it's attainable. You said, oh Lord, that you will walk through with us through our suffering and Lord, we're thankful for that. And those of us that are right now in the midst of our suffering, Lord, just embrace us. Embrace them, oh Lord. Give them comfort. Let them feel an overwhelming peace that is above, beyond their understanding. And Lord, be with them in the moment. Nothing else matters. Nothing else is as important as being in that moment with you. Thank you, Lord, for all that you provide us on a daily basis for your care. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you. For all those that are raising their hands and are making a decision for you for the first time in their lives, Lord, just bless them mightily. Bring them and connect them to a family of faith, a, a community of faith that will be there to support and encourage them. We pray blessings upon our president. We pray blessings upon his administration. And ask, oh Lord, that you continue to speak into his life, speak into his ear, Lord. And we thank you for our present day, Daniel. We just pray for our vice president, Pence. Blessings upon him and his family. In Jesus' name we prayed and God's people said, Amen. <laughs>